Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. On the show today, we have Audrey Brewer. Audrey works in marketing by day and lives in the Carolinas on a tiny suburban farm. She is the founder of an organization in her home city that serves as a resource for homeless women and girls. She is an artist and spends her free time gardening, painting, and doing farm chores. Like many people around the U.S., Audrey spent multiple years in a mostly female MLM, multi-level marketing company, or multi-level marketing scheme. Ascending through the ranks and loving every second of it until she didn't a lot. As she simultaneously removed herself from the ultra conservative religion of her childhood, she quickly felt herself questioning many of the practices of the MLM, multi level marketing scheme, of which she was a part. She saw similarities that actually alarmed her, and she chose to leave the company, but she found that to be harder and more grief-filled than she expected. In searching for post-MLM support, she found a silent void of information and stories, though she knew there had been many, many people who had left before she did. The absence of these stories made her feel very isolated and concerned that there were others out there feeling the same shame and or confusion that comes from leaving an MLM. It's her hope that someone, through the telling of her own story, will feel less alone in their own MLM story. Here's part one of my conversation with Audrey Brewer. I am very excited today to be able to have Audrey on the show with me, with us. Uh, This is a subject that I've been wanting to cover for a really long time. It's something that I get asked about a lot. A lot of times when I'm talking about kind of cultic groups or control mechanisms or coercive persuasion and the different kinds of formats that it comes in. I invariably get asked about multi-level marketing and businesses, sort of pyramid scheme businesses, et cetera. And so uh, I was so happy to be in touch with you and to have you be wanting to come on to talk about what can happen in these environments. And I know that you're not necessarily going to be talking specifically about the business or businesses that you were involved with. Um, because really, ultimately, as you and I have discussed, that matters less than talking about the techniques and talking about not only the techniques that happen individually, but I think socially also, and the after effects of it all, the false promises, the, all of it. And so, because, and just to say also that sometimes when I have people on who are speaking about particular groups, it's wonderful because then people learn about that group. But what's also true is that then they might not generalize the message 
to other groups like it. So I'm excited to have you be able to do that so people can see what to watch out for in a lot of different organizations and businesses. Okay, so so take it away, Audrey, if you want to introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you, and then we'll start talking. All right. Um, hi, I'm glad to be here. It took me, as you know, probably a year to do this one. So to even get the guts to talk about this at all to anyone. So my name is Audrey. I was part of an MLM for three years or so. And I actually left in January, 2019, I decided to stop selling. (laughs) And um, it just took a really long time to get out of the loop that I was stuck in. I think I want to say that my apprehension for talking about this was that I didn't want to come at people who were involved in an MLM in a way that was really vindictive or just kind of really negative because that's not helpful. Um, And I think um, there's quite a a secrecy about what happens in MLMs. And because of that, that, that secrecy culture kind of ends up penetrating your life in a way that is not so great sometimes. So I feel like if I were to talk about what, how I kind of went through my experience, maybe some other people, some of those things will resonate with other people and they'll be like, wow, I felt that too, but I wasn't allowed to. Right. Okay. Okay. So you've already said so much that I want to be able to get back to. So I want to be able to find out about the secrecy and and I want to make sure to come back to that, but I want to be able to kind of move back to what the draw was and what the draw is and, and not only what they used to entice you, but how they deal with any kind of doubts or hesitation you might have and how they keep you on this kind of what can feel like a runaway train. Right. So what's the enticement and what's the thing that kind of allays your fears or your, even your critical thinking as things or questions are coming up? So I'd first say that when I started with the business that I was in, I joined the team of a friend of mine who I'm still very close with. I talked to her this morning about doing this podcast because I was like, is there anything that I'm totally missing or, you know, she left a month after me, a month or two, something like that. So she and I have been really kind of going through this process together, which is funny because we went through the MLM process together. Yeah. It's interesting to see the parallels, but, um, Yeah. So she looked like she was just having so much fun and she was doing this thing and it was online and it was three years ago. So online wasn't, I mean, it was still the worst place in the world, but like it wasn't coronavirus, the worst place in the world, I guess. And so she looked like she was having fun and she was building this team and people I knew and trusted were on this team, people whose judgment I really trusted. And I trusted her judgment very much, still do very much. Um, but I just saw like the energy and I was like, man, I just got out of this divorce. I'm broke, like really broke. I have $32,000 in student debt, student loan debt. Um, I've got all this time on my hands because I had a full-time career, but it was very much at that time, it was very much an eight to five. Now it's much bigger than that, which is wonderful. Um, but I had more, um, I had, you know, not as many responsibilities then. So I was like, why not? Like, let's do this. And then I can buy this kit that you start with and, you know, hundred ish bucks. Right. And you get some cool stuff in it, which is fun. Everybody likes fun mail. And then you're promised, you know, this team environment is there for you. So you're not just making a business, you're joining this team and this family and this 
group of women mostly that are encouraging each other and cheering each other on. I would say the majority of MLM is female. The majority of the people I know in MLMs are female, but I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, most of the people in my MLM were female mm-hmm. um, or identified as female. And so, yeah, everyone was there and it was just very this like girl power. We're going to hustle. Yeah. Mentality. Like mm-hmm. the man's not going to own us forever. Financial freedom. And like all of these great things that I was like, I want all of them immediately. <laughs> and here's the thing is I knew I would be good at it. And so it wasn't as much of a gamble for me because I knew I could sell the product because I'm in marketing and I brand everything on accident, like everything in my garden, like on Instagram, it's weird. And um, yeah, I knew I would be good at it and I knew I could make some quick cash fast. And I didn't know everything about what it would take how much inventory you would need to have to do something like that, how social you would have to be to constantly find new customers, how kind of manipulative you might need to be in order to sell a product sometimes. And that stinks to say out loud, but it's true. And those are kind of, those are the things that you don't know going into it. You're really excited and you're in this hype, you know, this like love bombing kind of thing. Like that's what that reminds me of. You join a team, they announce you in the team group as welcome Audrey to the team. She's this awesome girl from blah, blah, blah. And she's going to be so good. And are her eyes so pretty? And like, oh my God, they like me. And we did that every time someone joined the team. Every time. So glad you're here. Can't wait to get to know you better. I love this. You're going to love this too. Yeah. Never any negativity allowed in the Facebook groups. And um, I didn't realize that going into it, but that really suddenly became an issue for me when I started deleting posts that were negative in my own group. And I was like, I don't like that. I don't like how that felt. So um, that was one of the biggest red flags for me is that it was a no negativity mindset. But that's also kind of what attracted me to it. So like there was this, kind of push pull between like, well, that's what I wanted and I'm here and it's working. We're making money. I'm making money. The way ours, our MLM worked is that I did not make money unless my team made money, mm-hmm. which was great um, in theory, except for it made me push my team harder to make money in ways that maybe made them feel not so great about what they were doing with their lives. For example, like you haven't sold X month, X amount this month you probably aren't doing enough personal development. You're probably not, you know, you're probably not branching out socially. Have you been to yoga class this week? What about that girl that sits next to you? Have you talked to her again? Like, it's just kind of like, you know, get out there and go be social. It's good for you. So yeah, that was kind of what got me interested. There was, there were a lot, there was a lot of energy and positivity and excitement and positivity and positivity and positivity. I didn't realize at the time that it was very cultivated. And there, there's never just positivity. There's always going to be some flip of that coin in every situation in life. I don't think there's ever going to be like, one thing is always going to be the best thing ever. Right. Okay. And that was not allowed. If you were negative, it was seen as a character flaw. And you were bringing the rest of everyone else's businesses down. So like, for example, we had a product release and I didn't love this product, but I had to get my team really excited about this product because it was important for my rank in the company for them to sell so many okay so I had to tell my team 
all the wonderful things about this product. I put it on, I showed it to him. I, I mean, I told him how I would sell it essentially because duplication is important, um, making it easy for the next generation to do what you're doing. And it, it wasn't, it didn't always feel good, you know, because if I didn't like this product, I was kind of requiring the people beneath, beneath me, below me in my downline to like the product enough to sell it for me. And I didn't like how that felt. That was, this was kind of toward the end, but um, that was another red flag for me. It was like, oh, I don't want to sell this, but I'm fine asking someone else to do it. Mm, I don't like that. Right, right. No, and how did it go with percentages? So if you got somebody to sell or if your team sold, I mean, how did it get shared? Oh, this gets super complicated. So the way it worked, it starts over on the first of every month. So every month is a new game every month. So on the first of every month, everyone in the business started at zero, zero sales for that month. Okay. Um, and in order to get paid at certain levels, you had to sell so much money and your team had to sell so much. Okay. What you had to sell was like 500 bucks ish at the higher levels. Mm -hmm. So not unreasonable, I don't think, but your team had to be really, really strong and you had to really coaching them and like having one-on-one -on -one meetings with them and helping them brainstorm ideas for events. And it was, it very quickly became a full-time job as a leader um, only because I wanted that rank really bad. I really wanted that rank. I got a huge dopamine rush every time I hit a rank or made a sale or got a new member of my team it was like yeah I'm good at this <clears throat> like it was just like I mean it really had like a visceral like <clears throat> chest pounding effect in me which is that says a lot about my own psychology but um but it was it was fun like it was it really was fun to the point that when I left I had to block my certain websites on my browser so I wouldn't go check to see how my team was doing that month yeah. to see if maybe I would be able to make another month out or Mm -hmm. just one more drink just one more drink it'll be fine it was really hard to let go because of that okay and and then it was um publicly done where people knew what the other teams were making I mean what was that used as a motivator or did it stay in-house within your team so according to our agreement that we sign when we sign up we have to sign everything this is every MLM you have to sign an agreement that says hey I'm entering in here's my social security number in case I make some money so you can show the government and I'll pay my taxes so you sign this thing that basically says I won't talk about certain things and most of most of them if not all of them I would assume have you can't talk about the comp plan in specifics and one thing the federal trade FTA federal trade association really hates about MLMs is that they like to promise certain incomes. It's called income promising. Um, so, you know, I, I try to recruit you to my team and I'm like, look, last month I made 500 bucks and mm -hmm. before I made 550, like you could make 550, even though that might be true. Mm -hmm. I can't promise that someone's going to make that money. That would have gotten me in really big trouble at the time. So the way that we did it was the Bass Ackwards way, where we showed off all the cool things we were doing and all the cool cars we drove. And we're on vacation and we're on a cruise with our girlfriends who also sell this product. And we're at a concert together and we're going out for margaritas tonight. And we're doing a book club. Like, even if it's not, you know, lavish, um, we weren't allowed to say certain things, but we were allowed to 
definitely wear a, you know, Burberry bag around. They actually taught us how to do this at convention, a way to, they were actually teaching us how not to get in trouble with the FTC, FTC is what it is, Federal Trade Commission, how not to to advertise the business illegally, basically. Um, And that was one of the things they talked about is you can't, you can't claim that somebody can make a certain money and you can't, a certain amount of money, excuse me, and you can't tell someone how much you made in a month. I can tell them that my team comprehensively had sold $40,000. Right, right. I could say that. Um, Uh I could say that someone below me had promoted to a certain um, rank that lets her X, Y, Z, but that, that was very controlled, what you were able to tell people. Um, I could tell them that they would get they would get paid within a certain amount of time between every sale. I could tell them that. And so that was appealing to people who are living really paycheck to paycheck. Right. I mean, if you can get a, a commission payment the same day as selling something, like that's really appealing to someone who's about to get their water turned off. There's a slippery slope there too about kind of, I don't want to say praying, but praying on people who are in vulnerable situations and selling the stream. That was definitely there as well. So I think when you're talking about how, you know, with the FTC and being watchful about what's going on, uh, it, even though I think so much more needs to be done, there, there should be much more oversight, uh, that you couldn't promise people a certain amount of money. But I think that's why there's so much terminology that I hear, so many different uh, multi-level marketing systems and um, businesses, that it's about um, uh, being able to make, these are the phrases I've heard, being able to make what you feel like you're worth, uh, being able to make enough to make this worth it, to be able to make more than you could dream that you could make. To be able to live your best life. What is your best life? Yes. Right. And it's all very like general hallmarky, not really any, it's not saying anything. It's it's, what we all want. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I think. (laughs) It's all right. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think what I think is also true is that one of the, one of the red flags with a lot of these companies is when you need to buy in in order to make. So if you have to buy this kit, if you have to buy product, if you have to buy inventory, a lot of people I know from different groups have needed to build shelves in their garage and put all their stuff and become, you know, that becomes this sort of uh, burden. Every time you see how much you've purchased already that you still need to get rid of, you have to like offload to others. And you're going to use friends and family, the next Thanksgiving gathering, whatever it is, as an opportunity to try to get rid of these things in order to make money. But it shouldn't be that you have to pay to play. And that's not the way business should work. They should have a product that then they ask you to sell. You don't have to sell the product you bought. But how did it go with this? Did they give you some sort of justification about why you needed to buy these kits and why you needed to have all this inventory that you purchased? When I started, very few things came in this kit. Actually, now I see the starter kits for our business and I'm like, our business, for that business. And I'm like, still working on that. And I'm like, um, (laughs) I'm like, wow, they get so much stuff. Like, that's not fair. But okay, to be fair, the starter kit, 
ba- okay, compared to the prices on the website of our products, of mm-hmm. those products, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the starter kit's like a bundle deal. That's just a great deal. Right, and then right. they say, you know, you can take the starter kit and go and just keep the, the product and enjoy it. Right. No pressure. Okay. Or, you know, let's say you use that product and you like it. So let's say they buy it just for the products and then they get a product in it and they were like, I love this product. You're like, okay, cool. You know what? You could get that product for free every month if you X, Y, Z. And so that's kind of how that builds. So there is a no pressure option. I mean, they have your social security number, but there's a no pressure option. If you don't sell any product, they won't send any commissions, like no harm, no foul, but it plants that seed. So it's a good deal as far as product goes, if you're looking at it that way, but it opens a door for someone to try to use your excitement or your love of that product against you. And that's, it's never, it never felt that way when I was doing it. It never felt like I was trying to use it against them. It was definitely not from a malicious place. I, I hope, I don't think, but once I really started recognizing the kind of undertones of that, I left immediately. I will say that I, I was like, I can't, this has got, I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, okay. Okay. I wanted to also mention something you said. Um, one of the reasons I left was that I didn't want to meet people with an agenda. And I caught myself meeting people with an agenda every time. I mean, truly, like I started taking art classes and I met my art teacher who was sort of my age-ish and absolutely stunning human being, just in general. Um, And I remember thinking like, ooh, I should wear a really bright lipstick because she might want to buy it to my first class. And Mm. that was actually one of the first times I went, ugh, like that was gross. Like I, ew. Um, and so that was definitely one of the things is that I found I, I met people with an agenda mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my agenda was either to sell them a kit or to sell them a product mm-hmm. or to get to know their friends. Yeah, exactly. Cause you have to sell and you, you want to be able to be a good participant on your team, but I think it also matters to you to be able to prove that to yourself. Uh, did people move higher up the ranks in a very obvious way if they were kind of better at selling or more pushy at selling and were able to get more products or was it not done that way? So interestingly enough, people who were too pushy uh-huh. almost never made it in the business at all because it looked spammy. So me being in marketing, I taught my team how not to be spammy and still advertise, how to present products without presenting products. Etc. But people, there were there were obvious discrepancies between people who joined because they had this dream, but were clearly not cut out, like couldn't function on Facebook very well. Yeah. Uh huh. Very Facebook. Most of these are very Facebook centric businesses now. That kind of thing. You know, they joined, but you're like, oh, bless them. They're definitely not going to make it. <laughs> uh, so there, and that sucks. But there were those that I was like, oh no, this is going to mm-hmm. be okay. But I'm here for it. If she wants to do it, then I'll do it. But, right. Right. Yeah. Um. I definitely think that the dream is sold to everyone regardless because you only really move up in the rank system of this particular business can't speak for all of them if you recruit more people so you could sell and sell and sell and sell the product just yourself no team all day you would never promote okay that's kind of strange to me you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right it was there a quota of how many people you're supposed to get in 
um, not like a, not like in a set time, but mm-hmm. they would run these things that were like, if you recruit 10 people this month, you get this like bag. It's a special bag. You wanted that bag. And then when someone sold 10 and they got that bag, you announce them in the group, like Megan got the bag. Yeah. And then love bomb, love bomb, love bomb. Right. So it okay. was kind of this constant cycle of reward challenge reward challenge reward challenge and for someone competitive like like me I was like hell yeah I'm going for that damn bag even if I didn't want the bag I wanted the bag you know right right so the other part about getting this kit when you were saying you know yes it wasn't very much but it was a really good deal in comparison to how much people would normally have to buy or spend on those products that kicks into a whole bunch of um, techniques of influence as you know as you I'm sure have studied this by this point, uh, where when you feel like you're getting something for a really good deal, you feel appreciative, and then you feel like you're being given a gift. But it's sort of like going back to makeup. Like if you go to a makeup counter, uh, I haven't done this in a long time. I'm not like a big shopper, but I do remember if you go and let's say you're getting a thing that happens to be expensive. Like if I were to buy cologne or perfume or whatever, and then they give you this free bag of stuff, and you're and you're like, thanks, it's so nice. And then you have this thing and you use it and then, you know, it dawns on you. Yeah, this probably cost them $2 and they charge you $50 more than was market price for what you bought. So you bought this and then some, but you kind of, you think that you've been given a gift and then you have this kind of reciprocity that kicks in, right? Like now what can I do to give back? And how can I show that I appreciate this gift? And it feels really good to be getting these things. And now I want to be able to use this as a place to start and build from that. And again, show my my allegiance and my appreciation for this. And I think people don't realize that when they're given something like that, it sets all of these techniques of influence in motion and, and then kind of triggers how you're going to behave. Uh, without them saying, listen, we're going to give you this thing so you feel indebted and you feel grateful and then you're going to feel like you, you need to give us something back, otherwise you'd be a bad person. Like that. I mean, if they were to be honest, that would be the presentation of it, but instead it's here, this is a nice thing. Uh, I'm wondering about something about the secrecy too, because there is a lot of secrecy in these groups. There are a lot of groups too, one that I've dealt with, also the name I'm not going to mention, but it's mostly women. And the husbands are horribly mistreated actually in this group and are also made to sign these contracts that they're not to talk about any kind of negativity about what their wives are doing they have to get up in front of a group of people and do um kind of make this husband's promise where they're never going to stand in the way of their wives or girlfriends or whatever whoever whatever it is uh doing this sort of thing and so they are pushed into silence and powerlessness um and so i wonder about how secrecy was used here is it something where you knew you couldn't talk about what was happening behind closed doors or you couldn't talk about the leaders or what couldn't you talk about so you could talk about anything almost except for income you could talk about you could talk about the compensation plan as long as it was posted on the main website so anything that wasn't it's not that it's not transparent that makes it sound like it's like kind of trying to sneak around it's not it's actually the compensation plan itself is laid out on the main page and it it really is exactly what you see it's the 
internal, how do I say it? The thing that we don't talk about the most in MLMs, even between teams or on the same MLM or even between MLMs is how we talk to our teams and how we get them encouraged and how we nurture our team members and how we, and it's not even the method. I'm trying to find the way to explain this. It's not the method that we don't talk about. It's the goal behind it. For example, let's say I've got one of these challenges where I have to recruit three people in a month. I'm running kind of these things on my Facebook page that are like, don't you love what I'm doing? Don't you want to be doing this too? Kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't ever tell the people on my Facebook page why I'm doing that because I get a bag or something stupid or I get a promotion or whatever. That's part of the secrecy is the why behind what you're doing. Ah, interesting. Okay. Which is the most important part, actually, the why behind what you're doing. Right. <laughs> right. But, you know, just that small detail. Well, sometimes, you know, I guess the question about secrecy isn't even so much about exactly the things that you had to keep secret, but just that there were certain things that you needed to. And so that keeps people in line. And it keeps people remembering, oh, am I allowed to talk about this? Am I not allowed to talk about this? And it can make you a little bit kind of jumpy at times and worry that you're going to get busted for sharing something that you shouldn't share. Because it really should be that when you get involved in a business, you can share whatever you want. You can tell people whatever you want about what you're doing at work. And, And if a boss or if anyone says, yeah, don't tell anyone about this part of it. That again should be a red flag, no matter what part of it it is, but that you have the freedom of expression, you have the freedom to communicate, whatever it is, right. and everything should be transparent. And if it's not, it should kind of make you, in retrospect, wonder. At least just ask the question. Yes, right, right. And, you know, piggybacking off of that, it was less about, you're just saying that, like, asking questions, it was less about what we could say, and it was more about how we were allowed to say it. So yeah. okay. positivity, no matter what, this was like, positivity was like the God we served through this. Like you must be positive in everything because as a leader in my team, if I were super negative, my team would be super negative. And they look to me to be excited about a product, right? And if I'm not excited about a product, they're also not going to be. I know this. So I'm going to be excited about a product. Um, let's say that product had, I, I had concerns about that product. I would not mention that to my upline uh, I would mention it to my upline, but the general person would not post it. Um, my upline and I are really close still, but um, there was never a time where you could say, hey, I'm concerned that this XYZ that we're selling, um, I might have had an allergic reaction or a customer said she broke out from it. You know, those are like important things to discuss, you know, right. mm. Um amongst a team, especially with people who were selling it. That's an important thing to know that somebody might have had an allergic reaction. Right, right. But we would not be able to post something like that in a group because it might bring down the vibe of the group. We weren't allowed to post anything publicly or speak publicly negatively about the company. I mean, that just didn't, that wasn't good for business, but also for everyone else who was in the business, it was very, even if you left, you kept your mouth shut because you don't want to affect their businesses. And a lot of their businesses exist because you gave it to them and that this was the thing, you know? And so to give them this and then leave and then, or even not leave, just to talk crap about it, you know, kind of 
feels really gross when you're the reason they're in the business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So much. Uh, I'm wondering also though about negativity, if it was okay to use it about people outside of the group, um, to be critical of other people in your life or other people who had left the company, you know, because uh, that often can happen that there's a real dichotomy that you have to be like very much into and being positive with the people in the group and not criticizing anything or anyone. But that doesn't, that doesn't translate to the rest of the world. How did that play out in your group? Actually, I never thought about that in that kind of way, but it definitely existed. And part of the reason I didn't want to come at MLMs from a really negative perspective is that because when people hear people who are in MLMs and really in it, really feeling it, really maybe successful, whatever, um, they hear someone kind of saying eh, about an MLM, they immediately shut down. I did it too. Um, and what I would have told my team like, let's say one of my team members came to me and said, my mom's being real downer about this. And she has all these concerns that X, Y, Z, and they're valid concerns, whatever. They might not be, but let's pretend they are. What I would say is your mom is not for you. Your mom is not on your team and she doesn't want the best for you. Does your mom pay your bills? Does your mom pay your student loans? Okay, then. Do you go to work or does your mom go to work? Like, is it your job to make a decision for yourself or not? And it's kind of this like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Like. Oh, and it feels like I'm empowering to them. It might feel like I'm empowering them. Mm -hmm. That is not empowering what I just said to you. You know, none of that is empowering. It's kind of coercive. And, um, but it is definitely like, we would say those people, they don't get it or they're not for you. Um, one thing they always used to say was your opinions don't pay my bills. Oh, and I wanted to be like, my MLM also didn't pay my bills in retrospect. <laughs> It was rough. Uh, if I made money, and I was a high rank, if I made money, I'd be surprised over the course of the three years if I calculated it, but I won't do it. I will not do it. I well, yeah, it. no, don't, mm -mm. that's a number I you don't want to see. No. I've finally gotten all my taxes paid off from it. So maybe we just won't cross that bridge again, but. <laughs> okay. But interesting. That's fascinating because, yeah, so are they paying your bills or and then they're not for you? That, again, that's a very common thing. You know, if your loved one is kind of questioning what you're doing or wondering if it was a good idea for you to, let's say, quit one job in order to do this or drop out of school in order to do this or leave your a relationship, that was against this um, because there's, there are a number of divorces and separations that happen. Yeah. That then it, there is this catch-all phrase like that, yeah, that they were against you. They were against you having success or fulfilling your dreams or whatever, uh, as opposed to, you know, maybe because they love you, because they care, they're bringing something to your attention that you might want to look at. Or yeah, they're concerned. They're, they're yeah. concerned about X, Y, Z and they love you. And okay. They're allowed to say, Hey, something about this seems really funny. Yeah. And I'm worried about you. And that was generally how that came about. And I would kind of twist it into this. They're not worried about you. They just think you're in a cult, not in a cult. You're, they think you're in a, you know, getting sucked into this MLM thing and mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. they just don't want you to do it. Right. How, how were people talked about when they left, when they were no longer involved? We frequently said that the people who got us to a certain rank would not be the people that got us to the highest rank because people came and went a lot. Like 
a lot. Um, most people who left were, um, I don't know that we even directly spoke about them, um, which kind of feels like almost like Amish shunning a little bit. It wasn't quite that intense, like, you know, but we were just like, okay, cool. They don't want to be here. Great. We're going to keep going. And it was just kind of like, if that's not what they want, if they don't want this for themselves, that's fine. They can make that choice. So we have job to do and people need this product. And it was kind of just like onto the, don't dwell on that onto the next. Cause that could be a negativity thing and a negativity thing would bring your team sales down. So I'm juxtaposing that with where you started this conversation, which is that people you knew and you trusted were involved in this, which was uh, motivational. And I think is also going to lower people's defenses like, Oh, good enough for them. And they're into it. Then I, you know, but it doesn't happen within controlling organizations. That doesn't happen in reverse. You're not kind of allowed to let that happen, where if someone you like and someone you trusted or someone you look up to suddenly left, it's like you're not allowed to have a moment where you think, hmm, there might be something to that. There might be a reason. Or I think I didn't leave because I was scared my team would go, hmm, hmm, because I was really in it until I wasn't. And I was making money when I left, which is rare. I think a lot of people leave when their sales are just not good. And they're like, screw this, I'm done, which happens a lot because this business model doesn't work for everyone. That's the point. Right, right exactly. It, when, people, when people would leave, it was very much like a, you just kind of let them go. Right. Um, you move forward and yeah. Okay. And so then I'm, I'm wondering also, not that you need to mention them by name, but from what you can think about now, when you think about them, what were the leaders like positive and negative? My personal upline, her upline and her upline. So three hierarchical tiers, three yeah, kind of right, right. direct recruits kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew every one of these women personally, met them in, in person and had really, um, except for the one at the very top, she was really busy. Um, but the two above me I had a really good relationship with. And I still I still really have intense respect for these people um, because they're both educated, um, really uh, multilingual, you know, very personable, kind, good-hearted people. I still think of them that way. I still think... Um, I know my sponsor apologizes to me regularly still. And I'm like, we, we were repeating what we were taught and we broke the cycle. Like we're here now. So I don't hold any of that against her. She was really just doing what she was taught and the person above her and above her, the founders of the company. If you had asked me two years ago, I would have said, um, I actually remember saying to somebody, I was at an event and they had a researcher there from the company to kind of find out what the general consensus was about the company. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying like, I'll never leave this business. I really feel like the founders of our company really want us to succeed. And they give us so many options every month. They give us so many challenges and they really push us to do better. That's what I said then. Now, I don't think they're bad people. I think I think the MLM model puts people at the very top and they make a lot of money. I think they do genuinely care about their people in their business. I don't see them as malicious, you know? I don't see them as having gone into this going, you know, we're going to make bank. And they might have. Like, I'm still not at the point where I'm, like, angry or I don't. They actually are really very smart people, too. There are people of faith, as most of them are. 
but I felt like they had, I still feel like they have, you know, real integrity. I think, I think the business culture is made on the individual teams. Mm -hmm. It trickles down some for sure, but I think the, the team, smaller team kind of push really put a little bit of a a coercive culture in place. Okay. But they did teach us how to sell. So uh-huh. yeah, there, you can still, I mean, you can, anyone listening to this can tell I'm still working through some of this, but. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, when you say that you're still working through this, what what's true is that you don't have to see it as so black and white in order to feel like you've worked through it. It could be that the people who are next up from you are good people. And then the, even the leadership, the people in charge, you might not know them well enough or ever be able to know them well enough to know what their intention was and if it was maybe more negative than it it came across because they're also salespeople so they're going to come across a certain way they're business people they're trying to make money like every business nobody goes into business and tries to not make money like that's right my mom would argue that this these tactics are kind of common in any business practice to some extent yeah. I mean, I, I would have trouble not, and maybe this will land not in big business. I would have trouble knowing that if I were the leader that I was making enough to have a home or two or three or whatever, or a plane, and the people who were working below me were really working hard and just getting by, if not maybe a little bit less than that. I, I, that would motivate me to revamp the model um, because it should be that everyone gets to benefit in the way that I'm benefiting. And if that doesn't bother you, I think there's something wrong, but that also is the way business is, unfortunately. But I'm wondering about when you said that the majority of people were female, and I do see this a lot. Why do you think that was, or why do you think that is? I think partially there's an allure to being able to ascend the ranks without men in your way. Mm -hmm. I don't actually feel like men are in my way in my I'm in a very, actually my, the career I'm in manufacturing. So I'm surrounded by men. Con- actually, if there's a woman, it's kind of rare. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't, we, I mean, truly, I think 95% of my company is male and I, I really enjoy working there. Um, but there was something about not having to kind of ask permission to ascend the ranks, to mm-hmm. be able to just pop on up there without going, can I do this? Also the product we sold was geared toward women that kind of was part of it. Um, uh-huh. Okay. But then mm-hmm. there was also a sense of independence that I think a lot of the people on my team wanted. They were either stable moms. Okay. Or maybe they were, I had a lot of teachers on my team who make no money. And as we're learning during coronavirus, they yeah. should make seven times the money they make. They should. If not more. Um, yes. Unsung heroes right there. But mm-hmm. uh, I would not do that job. But yeah. we had a lot of teachers who were broke who were having to pay for supplies for their classroom at the time, you know, like every okay. teacher. Said. Or right. we had, um, we had people who were retired, who were bored, who were, who had kids and never took time for themselves or. Right. I even, um, the student loan debt definitely is part of the problem too. That definitely was quite appealing to a lot of people in my group that yeah. would have some money to throw at their student loans. In reality, I'm not sure that any of us threw much at our student loans. Mm, I didn't right um so yeah I think I think that's part of it too okay okay and so sometimes you know going back to this idea of student loans sometimes people will ask me you know what kind of person gets involved in something like this and and 
I mean, I can talk about different kinds of people who are going to be open to different kinds of ideas. Usually it's all positive traits that they want to have a better life and they want to have success and they want to feel secure, whether it's financial security or having some answers or whatever it is that helps. Um, but very often it's not even so much what the person is like, but when they became kind of attracted to the idea because they were out of a relationship. And so the timing, it seems for you, played a very big role. And not only did it offer you the potential for financial security, but probably also connection. Absolutely. Okay. And and a purpose kind of for waking up, which sounds like I was super depressed. That was not the case, but it was just kind of like, okay, today I'll wake up and I'll put my makeup on and I'll wear this color so I can accent this product that's on sale. It kind of gave me like some structure, something to kind of think through that was helpful instead of thinking about, you know, where my life was headed at the time. And um, yeah, I think also coming out of a divorce, I was really unsure of who I was. I also had come out of my religion at the time. Now I, I say I'm an atheist, I guess, but um, I was raised really conservative Christian, Pentecostal holiness. So shaking some of that was really difficult. Um, leaving an MLM was more difficult, which is crazy. My marriage had ended. I had left. Um, it wasn't a healthy marriage. So, you know, they always say no good marriage ends usually. Like it was a good thing that I was moving forward with my life and um, establishing some independence. I had just kind of gotten the guts to say, I don't really believe in this religion I was taught my whole life and I don't have to anymore. Cool. Like I was able to move forward, but I also, that meant I didn't have my church community anymore either. Um, so immediately I went from being married with a huge church community to single in my own townhouse with a dog I just met and no face. And it just really, there was part of me that was like, I ha I need to be bigger, part of something bigger than myself. Right. So building a team kind of gave me like kind of that thing. Like I had to wake up and leave my team. I had to wake up and do this video of the product I was selling or, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Structure, goals. And and also, like you're saying, wearing a certain kind of lipstick in order to do this or that, that everything was sort of connected and uh, took some planning. And, and then it can occupy your mind. Uh, I'm wondering how many hours you devoted to this typically, even though I know it was on your mind all the time. All right. So between meeting with my team, selling my own product, um, so meeting with my team being like individual coaching sessions, uh, selling my own product running Facebook parties like all these MLMs do, um, checking in with the hostesses of those parties and doing personal development, which was pretty much required. I required it of my team, therefore I did it because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. But between all that, between texting, between trying to help someone pick out whatever color they want for their new lipstick, or we'll use that example, um, I probably was on my phone or computer six hours a day easy and that's probably on the lower side which is super strange given that I had at the time still have a full-time career that's doing well like I have no reason really to need to continue financially which I'm lucky in that regard um, but I kept going because of that yeah so this was six around about six hours maybe more a day on top of your oh yeah on top of wow. my regular career. And wow. you were talking earlier about family members maybe posing concerns um, 
the first person to pose a concern was my current boyfriend. We've been together four years now. Um, and I remember being so angry at him that how dare he even, he does not get it. He's not in it. It doesn't affect him anyway. It's for me. It's something I enjoy. How dare he? I mean, I was like, it's amazing. We're still together because I was really angry. Like you were talking about people getting divorces over this stuff. Like it felt to me that it wasn't supportive that him saying, Hey, you just spent 200 bucks on these 10 new products so that you can make 200 bucks so that you can be told that you did a good job and feel good. And it kind of felt critical when he said it like that. And I got real defensive real fast. I mean, there was a very much a, ugh, like, how dare you kind of visceral response in me. Um, but as we continued dating, eventually moved in together, the amount of time I was spending on my phone became more apparent only because I was noticing how annoyed he was. Um, and right. eventually it was just like, I, I didn't touch my phone after I quit selling for the longest time. Like I was barely on it. And I remember thinking like, I feel like I should be doing something with my hands, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, he yeah. definitely um, put that little seed of doubt in there. And I really resented him for it. And I have a feeling yeah. that if people listen to this who are in that lifestyle, they will feel similarly maybe about me and that's fine. But I hope that something resonates, you know? Oh, it will. It will. And okay. So I want to respond to that. First of all, what your boyfriend was picking up on was just looking at the math. He was, it was a zero sum game, right? So it's not going to make sense. No. And he is very mathematical. Like he is very like, show me the black and white. If it makes sense, I'm game. If it doesn't make sense, this is stupid. Like show me. And I'm like, what? The dream. I mean, his deadpan face was like, are you kidding? But yeah, he was very, it was a very black and white thing for him. One more thing before you go. Multi-level marketing companies or MLMs as they're commonly known have been around for many years and all of you have heard of some of them. Avon, Herbalife, and the like. Not all of these companies are dangerous, but some have proven to be so. And there are many lists online that you can reference to find out which companies people have had bad experiences with. That's not for me to mention here, as I've not had personal experiences with them. Just letting you know the information is out there. Please find it. Today, there are hundreds of companies that recruit consultants to sell everything from makeup to health products, cell phones, cleansers, clothing, and anything else you can think of. But most of all, they sell hope. They sell, quote unquote, empowerment. They sell a promise. And for most of them, of course, and that's why we're talking about it here, it's a false promise. MLMs follow a pyramid structure in which the people at the top, known as uplines, make tons of money off of the sales commissions of the people they've recruited, their downlines. In fact, these businesses rely heavily on recruiting new members under the guise of financial and personal empowerment. It is said that between 73% to 99% of participants either don't make any money or lose money, 73% to 
Because of the cult-like nature of many MLMs, many remain convinced that they'll be successful someday soon and relentlessly pursue friends and family and acquaintances with heavy duty and strong-armed and insistent pitches for their products. A client of mine once brought in a sheet they received at a recruiting workshop showing them all of the times and places that were quote-unquote ROs, recruitment opportunities for the group, even listing funerals as recruitment opportunities. Funerals. Talk about inappropriate and unseemly, just wrong. You can only imagine what that would do to family relationship and also shows how making money or at least making money for those at the top of the organization becomes more important than family relationships. I came to know about MLMs from clients who had come to see me. And as many of you know who have listened to the podcast before, a lot of these stories often remind me of a story from my own life. And here it is. I remember a friend I had many years ago who was always trying to sell me products. I'm sure some of you have those friends too. It started with vitamins, then skincare products, and then patches to take toxins out of my body. And she was always so excited about the possibility of making enough to help support her family while her husband was out of work. She was so insistent and seemed so hurt that I never seemed interested, but I remember going over to her home one day upon her insistence just so I could look at some of the products she had and assess them for myself. She wanted me to check them out. Try them out and see if they make me feel good, look good, or whatever. I acquiesced and went to her home. She was a smart woman, a teacher, who had never been able to make enough to support her children from a previous marriage. Her first husband had never paid any child support, and she didn't have the money to sue him for it. Her husband had been a music teacher who had been laid off, and he wanted to show his support of her, and he sold his guitars in order to help her buy some of her first products. He contacted me to let me know that he was concerned, but he wanted to be supportive and felt guilty that he wasn't able to help support his family right now, so he didn't want to interfere with her dreams. But this was the fifth company she had gotten involved with, where there was a high kind of excitement of great promise, and that this time, this time, it would be it. And the people in charge who fed into that and capitalized on it and created that excitement without logic, without proving any facts, without being able to look, kind of look at people right in the eye, I think, and know that they were telling them the truth, without even having a track record of being able to provide people with riches, well, I knew once again they were the ones who were going to get successful off of people like her. And they would be pushing her to be in the right mindset to be able to make those millions happen. 
So in order to be a friend, I went to her home. I'd never been to her home. And it was a tiny little place, which didn't matter to me at all, except in the room that I think was meant as a dining room or maybe an area to put a kitchen table. It was serving as a bedroom for her and her husband where they had put down an air mattress inside where a table would go. And one of their children, a high school student, slept in the bedroom. And the other child, who was in elementary school, slept on a couch that was a futon that pulled out to a bed. And the rest of the house was a litter of boxes and products and shelving that had been purchased, but not yet fully put together and put up for all of the products that would go on them. And so she moved her child's blanket and pillow over on the futon for us to sit down so she could show me their websites and she could show me brochures for this new company. And a wave of sadness came over me. Her husband politely excused himself. He looked beaten down. And I understood why. He had needed to feign excitement to seem supportive, but lost his ability to be enthusiastic for something that would take his wife and his family on another emotional and financial roller coaster, only to be left usually in worse shape than before. So I listened to her presentation, and after looking at the brochures and the sites online, I asked her a question that I was not expecting to ask that's not usual for me. I just said, will it be hard for you when I don't order these products? Can I still be considered a friend? And she said it actually would be hard because she really considered me a friend. And then she got into kind of this sales mode because she wanted me to have the best products out there and was sure this line was better than anything I could find in a store. And I could see how her voice became louder and her eyes became wider when she went into the sales pitch. So then I said, I want to be supportive and I want to be sure about these products and I want to be excited. But more than that, I really feel like as a friend, a true friend, I can't support something that's draining you of your resources. Now, again, mind you, I would not normally be that forthright and instead would just say something polite and something evasive like I would think about it. But I was finding myself getting angry on her behalf and was hoping I could try to help her see that because I cared about her, I didn't want her to be taken advantage of. And all of her wonderful talent and her enthusiasm and her smarts and more than that, her trust was being used and abused to line somebody else's wallet. And I get upset when I'm feeling protective, and I do speak my mind more in those moments than at other times. But I took a chance, and as I feared, that was it. That was the end of the friendship. And honestly, that is how it is a lot of the time, and that's why people don't speak up. And that's why people in situations like she's in don't hear the message because they're taught not to, because they're taught to see people like me in that scenario as uncaring 
as unsupportive traitors who are trying to sabotage their success, who don't believe in them, who are not being good friends. There is a theory that's called intermittent gratification. It's sort of why gambling works, why you keep kind of putting money in, not getting anything, because when you do get a bit of a payout, it feels so good. There's an intoxication that comes with it. It works very well in these kinds of situations where you get a little bit of a payout or maybe a big chunk. And then you get the hope of success reinforced by the people within the company, within the community. And it feels so good. And you work so hard so that you'll have that feeling again and get a little profit or payout intermittently, not anywhere close to the amounts you were promised. And those moments are few and far between. And the amount that you get is often paltry in comparison to the free labor you've given to the company, to the sacrifices you've made, to the money you've already spent and given them, and the grind of all of the work and the time spent and the money spent waiting and hoping and working and hoping. While the heads of the organizations buy their third homes and their fourth cars and go on their fifth vacation that year, and you make a bit of money or you lose money, but either way, you never get where the people are on top and you never get what they get and as much as they get. And what I'm most struck by with these organizations is how much fear they instill. People have asked me why I haven't covered this issue before, and I'll tell you why. One month into the production of this podcast, I was contacted by a woman who had been involved in a multi-level marketing company who wanted to tell her story and felt compelled to tell her story. And she was really on it, asking when we could have a meeting where she could tell me her whole story. And the day before, she called and canceled, saying she was too afraid. And I asked her why she was afraid, and she said she couldn't say. And the reason she couldn't say was she was no longer sure that her phone line was safe. And she was no longer sure that her email was private. So two months later, I reached out to someone who had spoken with me about his experiences. And I asked if he might want to share his story online. And he said he would love to, but he couldn't because it wouldn't be safe for him. Another person talking about safety. He knew how others who had spoken out had endured incredible amounts of harassment and that he had children and didn't want to put his family through something like that and also said he didn't want to put me through something like that because he figured I would be harassed just for having him on. Are you surprised that this is something people leaving some MLMs have had to deal with? I know I was. I was not expecting this panic to set in. And this is why people don't hear enough about them. This is why companies that sell online or go door to door or find ways to rope people in to buy products in order to sell them or buy membership in a company in order to then buy the products and then sell them go for a long time without knowing the true nature of this company because they can't get the information. And even with Audrey, who we got to hear from today, she needed to find the strength and the courage to share her story. And I give her so much credit for her bravery 
but I also know that it shouldn't have to take bravery. It should be that you feel the right and that you have the right when you feel you've been used or misused or abused to be able to talk about it, to be able to say, this is what I think happened to me. But for these companies where you have to pay to play, they clearly have something to hide. If they didn't, they wouldn't be working so hard to silence those who can talk about what happens in these companies behind closed doors. And if I'm harassed in response to this show or in response to the continuation of our conversation next week, these companies will just be showing that my guess is correct, that they have something to hide. They will be tipping their hand, so to speak. People who silence others have a reason to do so. But people like Audrey also have a reason to not stay silent. And not only do they have a reason to not stay silent, they have the right. So listen in to the rest of my conversation with Audrey next time, not only to hear the rest of her story, but to support her bravery. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening. Tired of ads? Well, listen or download this show for free on NPR's Radio Public app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please support Indoctrination at patreon.com indoctrination. We have over 100 interviews that you can access with any donation. Subscribers receive bonus interviews and other cool goodies. And we love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.